0: Our history is our treasure treasure that we keep in a humble bursting at the seams archive at the Jewish Federation of Ottawa. Archives can seem inaccessible, but with this podcast we're bringing the archives to you. Honouring the past is one of the 613 commandments or mitzvot of Judaism. 613 is also the area code of Ottawa, the capital city of Canada, a city that hosts a vibrant historical Jewish community. 613 Archives is where we dig into the shelves and drawers of the Ottawa Jewish Archives for stories that bring our past into the present. Thanks for joining us on this dig. I'm Lawrence Wall, and now here's your host, Jimmy Gutman.
1: You are listening to 613 Archives, the podcast of the Ottawa Jewish Archives. Episode 3, Jewish Family Services. So, Mark Twain has this weird quote about Jews. In 1899, he said, quote, The Jew is not a burden on the charities of the state nor the city. These could cease their functions without affecting him. A Jewish beggar is not impossible. Perhaps such a thing may exist. But there are few men who could say that they have seen such a spectacle. For a person who wasn't Jewish and wasn't really involved in Jewish life, Mark Twain wrote a lot about Jews. He lived in Austria in 1896 and saw anti-Semitism there, and he came back and wrote essays on what he saw to be Jewish life in America. It came from a good place. He was from the American South and spent a lot of his time defending African Americans, Native Americans, and Jewish people against prejudice. His own daughter ended up marrying a Jewish man, and Mark Twain was proud of that. The thing is, his essays, although coming from a good place, were often incredibly inaccurate, and that quote, where he basically says that Jewish poverty doesn't exist, that was wrong. When it comes to class, Jews are often depicted as one-dimensional. Until today, they are understood in popular media as financially successful and self-reliant. Similar to the 2018 CBC documentary, What's with the Jews?, which was more about why Jews are so successful rather than wealthy. But it didn't help with the stereotype that all Jews somehow have a lot of money. Because the truth is, they don't.
0: So one story I like to tell a lot, <laughs> and anybody who's heard me speak will know, so I grew up in Ottawa. That's
1: Andrea Gardner, Associate Executive Director at JFS.
0: Every Friday night in my house, we were we, we always shared Shabbat dinner with, with friends of the family. And as I as I grew up, and as I became more socially aware, and as I became a social worker, and when I started in the Tikvah program, I used to share with the people around the table about what I'm doing with my, you know, real social work hat on, you know, young and and very idealistic, talking about Jewish poverty in Ottawa, and all of the big machers around the table were talking about how there's no, we take care of our own, there is no such thing as Jewish poverty, that can't possibly exist. I'm like it does, and here are the numbers. And I started to, um, and I started to talk more and more about it. But what she's really
1: talking about here is an almost willing ignorance, in and out of the Jewish community, of the financial reality of Jews in Canada. Like we've talked about before, Jews have been in Canada for 250 years, with the first ones coming to Trois-Rivières, Quebec, in 1760. But Canada saw its first really huge wave of Jewish immigration in the late 1800s, out of Eastern Europe. And the second large wave of Jewish immigration came immediately after the Holocaust. At first, Canada had a none is too many policy, and only allowed about 5,000 refugees from Europe. After the war was over, and Canada finally opened its doors, it did let in more than 40,000 Jewish refugees. But these refugees were traumatized. A lot of them couldn't work. A lot of them needed medical and psychological care. And today, of about 17,000 Holocaust survivors living in Canada, 25% of them live in poverty. That figure paints a very different picture from what Mark Twain wrote earlier. Another factor leading to modern Jewish poverty comes from the changes that were brought on with modernity. Jews in Canadian cities used to live in one neighbourhood, all altogether, usually the same one they worked in. But as Jewish families assimilated and prospered, they spread out, they moved to the suburbs, just like any other immigrant community. And while this might be great for those members of the community that are growing more affluent, it only serves to further isolate the members of the community that don't grow up in the same way, the ones that are left behind. Meanwhile, the priorities of Jewish agencies and services are geared towards those Jews that move to the suburbs. And so, because the needs of the majority take precedence, the needs of the minority take a back seat. If they weren't already isolated, now poor Jews can become even further alienated from their community.
2: I know that when the Tikvah program first started, Jewish um, folks who were struggling with, with food security, with low income, had to go to a church to ask for money. That's Sarah Casby. She works with Andrea as the executive director of JFS. I know that you know part of why Tikva began is that the idea that you shouldn't have to go and ask another community, um, and so it's also you you want to make sure that 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 it's okay that that not all Jews are rich, right? And they're not they're, that if you're struggling with addiction, you can go to your community.
1: Another element of the story that I want to bring in is that the typical understanding of poverty is outdated. The Jewish poverty we see today is a little different. The thing is, you can't always see it. Jim Torchini, a social work professor at McGill University, wrote in a 1994 article, "...Jewish poverty represents a distinct and unique phenomena because of its persistent invisibility. The Jewish poor are a minority among Jews because they are poor and they are a minority among the poor because they are Jews. They lack representation in both communities. Studies didn't actually acknowledge the Jewish poor until the 1970s, when findings pointed to poverty rates between 15 and 20% in the United States. In Montreal, studies from the 70s until the 90s indicated that one in five Jews were living in poverty. When a person feels underrepresented or even discriminated against, they're not going to advertise themselves to the public. They're going to try to be discreet. In fact, Torcini writes again, in the same article, one study found substantial numbers of Jewish poor who did not avail themselves of services because they were too ashamed of being poor to utilize Jewish services and too ashamed of being Jewish to make use of public services. That learned mentality, that it's somehow shameful to be poor, and shameful to be Jewish, and even more shameful to be both poor and Jewish, puts a person in a really, really tough situation, especially when there's a public perception that their situation doesn't even exist in the first place. Okay, so Jewish poverty is a thing, and it's a modern thing. But even though Jewish poverty in the modern world is a bit of a different beast, we also see Jewish poverty throughout history. And just like how Jewish poverty has always existed, Jewish philanthropy has always existed as well. In 1956, a man named Peter had just gotten out of prison outside of Ottawa, and he writes this letter. This is not an easy letter to write in view of the circumstances. I'm not going to ask for any financial help. In fact, I don't expect help of that nature. At my release, I'm quite capable of making my own way. My immediate problem is that when I was arrested, I was wearing a very light summer suit. Naturally, if I'm released in the same condition as I came in, I'm going to be very embarrassed and, of course, feel very inferior. I thought perhaps you may know a Yiddish philanthropist about my size that is about ready to discard last year's overcoat and a dark suit that he would not miss. If I told you my story in full force, it would eat up all the paper in this institution. The person on the receiving end of that letter writes him back and arranges a set of winter clothes to be delivered to the prison on the date of his release. This is an early example of Jewish charity in Ottawa, and it wasn't a one-off thing. Jewish charity grew along with the Ottawa Jewish community. In 1953, the executive director of the Vat the predecessor to the Jewish Federation of Ottawa, sends a letter asking about services for Holocaust survivors. It says... I have been receiving inquiries from a number of former inmates of German concentration camps concerning the new arrangements which have been made to indemnify such persons for loss and bodily injury sustained at the hands of the Germans. Would you please let me know the procedure which is being followed to process such claims and whether I could be any help insofar as Ottawa claimants are concerned? At this point, the Nevada has been getting requests for social services for Holocaust survivors and it doesn't know what to do. It's overwhelmed. So clearly... The community has needs, and its needs are not being met to satisfaction. I want to be clear that it's not like Ottawa was some kind of social services wasteland. It had options. For example, the Ottawa Hebrew Benevolent Society is one of the first charitable organizations that we see in Ottawa's Jewish community. It formed in 1897 as two separate organizations for men and women and merged to form one organization in the 1930s. The thing is, while Ottawa Jewish philanthropy programs were good, they just weren't good enough. We've talked about how prevalent Jewish poverty was by the 1970s, and it wasn't going away on its own. By the late 1970s, people started talking about doing something more, something with a bigger impact. Just like the rest of Canada, Ottawa's Jewish community was now beginning to notice some big changes, and they would have to adapt. So the question is, how does the community adapt to change? The answer, like any responsible community would do, They organized the committee. In 1976, the Vad Year and the committee conducted a needs study of Ottawa's Jewish community. The study found that almost all of the community's needs were met using privatized services. It discovered that there were gaps in services available, that the community didn't have enough family and marital counseling, support for the elderly, education, support for newcomers, or any information services at all. Before 1976, the community had social services mostly in the model of a Hebrew-free loan society. That's one of the old Jewish concepts. A Jewish person can't charge another Jewish person interest on a loan. So the Hebrew Free Loan Society's model is just to provide interest-free loans to Jewish people, which is great, but often money only scrapes the surface of what people need. Plus, by 1976, Ottawa's Hebrew Free Loan Society was capable of giving 20 to 30 loans per year, and most of their work took place in Israel. In 1979, In the meeting minutes of what would become the solution to this problem, they write, The Jewish community's character has changed. There is a large number of poor and welfare families, broken homes and marriages, especially in the younger group. A wider range of services appears to be needed in such spheres as medical and psychological, dental, legal, financial, marital, family, etc. And just like that, Jewish Family Services was born.
0: When I started the agency back in the... Mm, early 90s. Um, We didn't have any programs at the agency that really reached out and and worked with the most vulnerable, the most isolated, those in our community that were struggling, those that were on the fringes. Remember I mentioned her earlier? That's Andrea again. Today, she's the Associate Executive Director of Jewish Family Services. And so we started the Tikva program which is our poverty relief program, and it really became a challenge to community, and it became a challenge to um, other agencies in the community to say, "Hey, we need to do, we need to do something. We need to, we need to address this as um, we need to take care of our own." Really, that's really what it came down to.
1: As early as 1977, the organization was already offering services to the elderly: meals on wheels, a telecheck program, fitness programs, transportation, and friendly visiting programs. For immigrants, they offered assistance in moving, finding employment, and learning how to drive.
2: Jewish Family Services is a family service center, which means that we service families at all the levels that they are. So we have programs for uh, Jewish individuals, families who are struggling with financial challenges, with mental health concerns. We do case management for, for that. That's our TIKFA program. We have two seniors programs. We have a Jewish seniors program and a seniors program for diverse communities where our staff are seconded to different locations across Ottawa we have a settlement service, which again is um, some of our staff are located here and some are seconded to different communities. We have a counseling group that has a walk-in counseling clinic that is has nine locations that JFS is the lead on. Um, we have um, a counseling group for and three different units for children, youth, and families, for couples and relationships, and for individuals. Um, We also have a Shalom Bayat program, which is for Jewish women who are experiencing violence. Also in our counseling group, we have a connection with the Royal Ottawa and a CBT clinic, um, which is uh, increased access to structural psychotherapy, which is funded from the
1: Ontario government. But it wasn't an entirely smooth transition from the previous social services that Jewish Ottawa offered to the JFS. There were a lot of other organizations that took care of other aspects of Jewish community need, and slowly over the years, Jewish Family Services absorbed them. In 1978, the Jewish Information Referral Service reported their work that year to the VAD. They offered two examples of cases that they worked on. The note says, Mrs. X, born in Europe, married Montreal, French-Canadian, mother of two boys, aged 11. Presently separated, called JIRS, initially seeking information about Hillel Academy for Children, currently enrolled in French Immersion. Information was offered and a referral made to Hillel School Principal. Subsequent follow-up indicate Mrs. X required employment. Some efforts were initiated on her behalf and she is currently marginally employed. JIRS will endeavor to offer supportive counseling until 1. Children accepted rejected at day school. Two, Mrs. X has satisfactory employment. Mr. D, musician, moving to Ottawa from Quebec City, requested assistance in locating accommodation where he can practice without disturbing others and where he can cook vegetarian style. Also interested in teaching music, if there is a need, in this city. JIRS offered placement service, put him in touch with local musicians. going beyond ottawa's jewish community there's this misconception out there that to be poor is to somehow be holy it's a new testament idea in the bible it says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven that's not to say that all christians think this way there's a lot of philanthropy in the christian community as well but still because this is such a popular quote it's become ingrained in people's minds it leads to the understanding that poor people somehow don't need or don't deserve to be helped It's a disgraceful thought, but to be honest, it's sometimes easy to fall into the trap, to put those blinders on and just focus on yourself and your own problems. Because we all have our own problems. But remember, we talked earlier about Tikkun Olam. We've talked about it before on this podcast, and it factors a lot into the work of the JFS. In fact, it's central to what they do. Tikkun Olam is our mission
2: statement, um, and we say that we... We live it every day. Um, If you are here during a a program, you will see it. You know, sometimes I'll be sitting with an Orthodox Jewish woman for um, counseling around um, you know, relationship struggles. We'll be walking out, and we'll walk past. You know, three women, um, Orthodox Muslim women, and seeing that kind of exchange, and and knowing that everybody is here because there's something that they need and something that they can benefit from. I think that's a true moment of tikkun olam.
1: In 40 years, the JFS has put in a tremendous amount of work and changed many lives for the better. They haven't completely eradicated poverty or ended addiction or mental health issues or domestic abuse. Issues the community currently faces still include all of these things. Today, Jewish poverty in Canada pretty much mirrors the national average. Nearly 17% of Jewish Canadians can be classified as poor. 27% of that are children. According to the 1991 census, one out of 6 Jews in Canada faces poverty. But the JFS
0: is still here working on it. It's really tough out there. Like it's a it's it's a really hard world to live in and 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 it's expensive and our governments are not really they're not stepping up in ways that they should be stepping up to support people who are less fortunate, who struggle, who are on Ontario Works, who have disabilities. And so our numbers are increasing, you know. I think when we were with somebody about you know the best thing that you could tell me is that you're out of business do you remember that and and the thing of it is is that we would love to be out of that business but we're never going to be out of the business and the reality is that there's always going to be people on the margins and there's always going to be people who don't feel connected and they are and we will always be able to be able to create a space and a place and services that people can within our jewish community and without for other programs feel connected
1: One three archives has been brought to you by the Ottawa Jewish Archives and was made possible through the generosity of the Ottawa Jewish Historical Society. I am your host, Jimmy Gutman. This episode was written by Zoe Thrumston and produced by SoCalled, who also created the theme music. If you want to berate us or tell us how great we are, find the Ottawa Jewish Archives on Facebook or go to ottawajewish.com/ottawa-jewish-archives. Pictures from the archives that illustrate this episode are available on our Facebook page. Go check them out. This episode was the brainchild of the Ottawa Jewish Archive, Zoe Thrumston. Now, Zoe, she's getting sick and tired of Ottawa. She wants to leave. So we're gonna be saying goodbye. Unfortunately, that's the end of this great project. We had a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. There was a lot of laughs, maybe even a little tears. And some burping. But now we have to say goodbye. Goodbye.